Welcome to World is Burning, the podcast for your climate anxiety. We're back. We are. <laughs> and we are. feel a lot better than we did a yeah. couple weeks ago. Yes, most definitely. Oh, also, that's Elise Nye. Yeah, and that's Olivia. That's Hamilton. Me. Yeah. We're doing last names this week. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yours is just goes so nice. <laughs> I like, I'm always so jealous of people with three syllable names. I think it's the best. Yeah. Way to be. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of My, someone with yeah. a seven syllable name. Yeah. I feel like people mostly I don't I don't get it as much, but like my younger sister Sarah, especially for some reason with little kids, she's always Sarah Nye. Hmm. Sarah Nye. It just flows so well. But yeah. That's funny. Oh yeah, and then you also have a sister named Olivia. Mm-hmm. But just having yes. a short last name, I don't know why. It's just I lust after it. I don't know what it is. Nothing wrong with my name, but anyways. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I we we took last week off, which we weren't necessarily planning to do, but then no. also it was yeah, kind of a last minute decision. But I feel like everyone was just so overwhelmed, and I feel like everyone this week was just like refreshing results and yeah. numbers. So there were other things to pay attention to. Right. It was just like I I got this like. Wait, I mean that we've all felt for the last few years and then mm-hmm. the last few months, especially with like hardcore get out the vote kind of organizing and stuff. Like there's just so much weight that like the idea of being energized recording the podcast on, you know, we record on Mondays. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> and then trying to imagine what how life would be different on Wednesday. Yeah. And ultimately it wasn't very different. Yeah. Um, especially since like we didn't, we were like, it's not like we can be like, oh, we don't know right now, but when you listen, you'll know. It was like, you don't really know. Yeah. You have no idea where we'll be. None of us are in a great headspace. Uh, yeah. It's just like, good luck, everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we made it through. I Yeah, I, I ended up watching. There's this um, great newsletter called Heated, and also it's a podcast. Um with Emily Atkin, I think is her name, Emily Atkin. Anyway, she did this really great um, election night live stream. And so I wasn't able to watch it on election night. You know, my roommates and I just kind of decided to watch uh, John Mulaney and Drunk History and like have the news, but we knew there wasn't going to be an answer. So we were just kind of thinking, let's try and get our minds off of it a little bit. But I watched that election night live stream the next day and it felt like, you know, it felt like I was watching it in unison because, yeah, like, it was, it was election week. <laughs> yeah. And then Saturday, we were just so happy. Yeah. It was also, I don't I don't know about there, but, I, like, here it was a beautiful day. So I was, like, outside. Yeah. And it felt really nice. Um, I know New York was a lot more festive. I saw so many videos of, like, people cheering and... Yeah, it was, it was, it was gorgeous. And um, so I just like, you know, heard people cheering on the street. And that's kind of like, was the signal? Oh, my roommate told me first. But like, after that, you could just hear people in the street. And then we went for like a little walk. And everyone's like, we did it, you know, random people. It's like, um, I don't know. There's like great sense of community that I feel like, especially during COVID, you don't feel very often. So just like that pure sense of yeah. joy. And then there were a bunch of like dance parties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was very hungover because I had 
preemptively celebrated on Friday, kind of thinking that we weren't going to get an gotcha. official results uh-huh. and yeah. just like needing the release and the celebration and thinking we wouldn't get it. And then we got it the next morning and I was like, kind of wish I'd waited, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, also for the best to not be like outside around so many people. Yeah. No, but I do not fault them for celebrating. Yeah. But yeah, it was just like such a a massive range of emotions. And I think especially on Tuesday, seeing Florida get taken and like, you knew that that was probably going to happen, but still like seeing that happen. Yeah. And um, I found the NBC News exit polls really interesting. Uh, they said that 91% of black women voted for Biden, which is mm-hmm. a hell yeah. But then 55% of white women uh, voted for Trump. So only 43% yeah. voted for Biden. Um, and that's just like, that's one of those things where you know, like, this is just the beginning of something that we still have so, so, so much work to do. Yeah. There's definitely a lot more conversations and just like a lot more stuff that needs to happen right now and in the next four years and everything. It's it's definitely like a sigh of relief, but it, there's still... I, I personally feel like my reaction feels like I was trying to figure out how to describe how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And it feels like in like an action or horror movie. I feel like this happens so much in, in movies and I'm not sure why, but when someone somehow gets like stuck on a conveyor belt or something and they're like mm. going towards a buzzsaw, I don't know. I feel like that happens in so many movies. But yeah, going you know towards a buzzsaw. About- yeah, no, yeah. Like whenever they're in a factory. Yeah, yeah, they, they're in a factory, someone's on a conveyor belt or mm-hmm. thing, and they're going towards a buzzsaw, and then, like, at the last minute, they stop it, but then, like, obviously, the big bad is still out there, and they have to, like, get out of there real quick. Like, yes. that's how I feel about this election. Like, just, I can relax for a second, because the buzzsaw isn't an imminent threat, but, you know, there's still a lot of runtime. It's just the beginning. It's just that yeah. you didn't die right in this moment. Right there. Yeah. So, like, definitely, like, sigh of relief. Like, whoo. But, yeah. But, yeah. That's kind of, that's how I would describe how I'm feeling in this moment. I love that. That's honestly <laughs> the perfect description. Yes. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, there's so much work that we have to do, especially, like, in anti-racist work and, like, yeah. white communities. Mm-hmm. Um there was this thing that AOC said in a New York Times interview that was done on Saturday afternoon. Okay. And she was like, um, we need to do a lot of anti-racist deep canvassing in this country because if we keep losing white shares and just allowing Facebook to rad- radicalize more and more elements of white voters and the white electorate, there's no amount of people of color and young people that you can turn out to offset that. Yeah. Which is just like... Yeah. Which, like, that's a thing, too. Like... I think it might, I know, like, the majority of white people and white women voted for Trump this time Mm -hmm. around. But, I mean, that also, I don't have the number pulled up, uh, but the split of white youth also, they looked pretty similar. So, like, Mm. I feel like a lot of times we talk about the youth vote as being very progressive, which in a lot of demographics it is, but I think it's also, you know, the, like, white youth vote also kind of aligns with the overall right it's not just a old people issue yeah it's like not you know yeah 
I feel like that's like a really important thing to focus on because I feel like young people are clumped together, but it's also important to like look into that, like how that breaks down. Yeah. So, but it's exciting. It's the, it's the start, like you said, like it's the, it's the start of the other part of the horror movie. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Again, we got past the buzzsaw. Don't talk yeah. about that anymore. Like, so that's like obviously a stressful moment but yeah like movie's not over gotta keep gotta keep running so yeah yeah well so we're doing the same idea that we were planning to do for last week and I feel like it's still it's still super relevant Mm -hmm. um maybe even more so so we're talking about different environmental movements um some more modern and some from farther away and like it is really interesting to see uh, the history of especially like environmentalism in the U.S. Um, and how much how much has changed and how much like will continue to change. It's really like exciting. Yeah. No. Agreed. Um, so should I start? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So um, I'm going to talk today about the conservation and preservation movements, um, which were part of the progressive era of politics, which is like the late 1890s to the early 1920s. So some of my sources were encyclopedia.com's page about the environmental movement, uh, a video by the roving naturalist, LA Times, uh, an APUS history video by Mr. Kuhn. Thank you, Mr. Kuhn. All of the comments were from his students and also me. Um, Sierra Club, their... Um, biography of their founder, and then also a more recent letter, study.com and KQED. So, yeah, so this is like all kind of taking place in that late 1800s, early 1900s time period, like around the second industrial revolution, which I've just realized over the course of this podcast, especially, but maybe in general that I'm like obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because that's like when oil and gas and steel and like all of those industries that we think of today were like really popping up yeah um so wikipedia which was also one of my sources they cited a book um by samuel p hayes that divided um the era into three main positions so there's laissez-faire which is basically people that already own private property lumber and mining companies who were like we should be able to do whatever the heck we want on our properties because obviously that's what they think because they are annoying. Um, and then there was the conservationist movement, um, which was led by people like future president Theodore Roosevelt, um, George Bird Grinnell, and Gifford um, Gifford Pinchot, um, who I'll actually talk about quite a bit more in a second. But they basically recognized that just letting private properties like do whatever they wanted was way too wasteful. It was going to be super inefficient. And so what they thought was that instead of that, we should have a long-term plan devised by national experts to maximize the long-term economic benefits of natural resources, basically using those resources for human gains, but in a responsible way. And then going off of that is the preservationists who were led by John Muir, who is very famous, the founder of the um, Sierra Club, among a lot of other things. And he argued that conservation policies were not strong enough um, to protect the interest of the natural world because they continue to focus on the natural world as a source of economic production, which that sentence, I was like, hell yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm on board with that. Um, But 
as like you might have heard and then I'll definitely get into in a second like he had a lot of really problematic um ideologies some of his time and then some that he really just kind of stuck to <laughs> and so it's like this interesting back and forth between conservationists and preservationists um but then if you're a linguist person like me I'm just maybe I'm not a linguist but I'm really interested in like the the way that language yeah. is started um so to conserve is to protect something from harm or destruction it also kind of implies this like limited amount of use so if you think of like conservation land mm -hmm. it's not going to be used to its full ability but it's still like going to be accessible and then to preserve is to maintain something in its original or existing state so it's generally seen as like more restrictive more strict um and also just in like as this movement was going on people saw preservation as like the restrictive version whereas conservation sounds more appealing especially to conservative voters even though those words conservation and conservative don't mean the same thing like I just think that's so interesting yeah um sounds familiar I like that idea yeah and like also I don't know whenever you talk about like titling policies and stuff like that that how like how much of an influence just the name of a a policy or a movement or a person or whatever like can have on how people perceive it oh, I just think it's yeah. so interesting yeah Oh, agreed. Um, and then the third one in this would be reserve. Um, like I think of Native American reservations, and that's to refrain from using or disposing of something to retain for future use. So um, basically, uh, conservationists were thinking that resources from the environment should be used by humans and managed in a responsible manner, but that they need to be managed sustainably to account for future generations. And that conservation would fail um, if it wasn't managed sustainably. And then preservation was that natural resources should not be consumed by humans and should be maintained in their pristine form. Um, so this kind of came to a head in the Hetch Hetchy debates, which is the Hetch Hetchy Valley, um, which is in San Francisco. And kind of the two main people at the top of this fight were John Muir for preservation and Gifford Pinchot for conservation. Um, so getting a little bit into who the heck they are, which I've always, I think that John Muir is a really interesting person to probably dive into even more fully in another episode um, okay. because he's kind of seen as like the father of the national parks, the father of the modern environmentalism movement, but he also has had a lot of um, really just messed up ideas, especially surrounding race, quite mm -hmm. frankly, and um, class going, going into that. Um, so he was a Scottish American. He was born in Scotland and lived there for the first 10 years of his life. And then his family emigrated to Wisconsin at age 11. Um, he was like a farmer, uh, grew up farming, very much a naturalist. Um, he walked a thousand miles from Indianapolis to the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. I think when he was in like his late 20s or early 30s, hmm. um, which I just think is fucking cool. I don't know. It's a cool thing to do. A lot of people will like redo that same hike okay. um, and try to like completely retrace his steps, which isn't 100% possible right now um, because the lands have not been preserved in the way that maybe he would have hoped. Yeah. Um, but he was very much the face of 
the preservation movement. Um, he also co-founded and was the first president of the Sierra Club, um, which is like described, I don't know, in some um, in some articles is described as like basically the playhouse of like upper and middle class white people who had like a lot of free time mm-hmm. and, you know, had the economic comfort to be able to like use nature as their playground. Mm-hmm. But that also does a lot of like amazing, amazing preservation work, especially like the modern day Sierra Club is really freaking cool. However, um, on when Muir served as president, he, among other people, invited David Starr Jordan to be a member of his board of directors. Um, and David Starr Jordan is known as a kingpin, quote, of the eugenics movement. Um, he pushed for things like for sterilization laws and programs that um, deprive tens of thousands of women of their right to bear children, um, mostly Black, Latinx, Indigenous, and poor women, um, and also those living with disabilities and mental illness. Um, and then the laws that David Starr Jordan created through his organization, Human Betterment Foundation, were used as model laws to create Nazi Germany's eugenics legislation. Um, I actually got all that information off of the Sierra Club's website. Uh, so there's like transparency a little bit. More recently, yes. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't follow them incredibly closely. I've been a member of their newsletter for a couple of years, and I think they they do a lot of really really cool work. But um, it was definitely also in response to a kind of a like lack of public reckoning with that history. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think a lot of companies especially organizations in like June really felt the public pressure to talk about these things and since then they've dedicated like uh, millions of dollars towards uh, a lot of these things and they've um, also had quite a few initiatives to make the modern day Sierra Club both like explore this history and not hide from it and then also like face it and obviously make sure that it doesn't continue um Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just think it's like, it's really fascinating to look at. And it's also something that I feel like if you're going to talk about all the things that John Muir did for the environmentalism movement, you have to also like acknowledge this stuff. Uh, Oh, and another thing, when they kind of said like that the Sierra Club was like a mountaineering club for upper middle class white people, um, it was like they were working to preserve the wilderness that they hiked through, but the wilderness only needed to be protected like in the last few decades, once white settlers displaced violently, in many cases, indigenous people um, who had taken care of that land without preservation for thousands of years. Yeah. And just like the idea that people have like lived and like that land was important and like for life and like sustenance and culture versus like for it to be preserved in order to be like consumed as entertainment. Yes. Not as, like, a life-giving source yeah. of people. Yeah. It also just reminded me of, like, um, I don't know. When when we talk about a lot of, like, ways that the environmental movement manifests now, a lot of it is so, like, tied into capitalism and, mm-hmm. I mean, also white supremacy, not quite as explicitly as this, but still. But, like, yeah. there's this idea of taking ideas that have existed for thousands of years and then like moving it into modern capitalism and it's like 
It's so interesting. Yeah. Also, yeah, it's not to knock any of the work that they did, but, like, the, the fact that this informed their work is, like, mm-hmm. I think important to to talk about. Another thing um, that I just think is interesting is that you can only... You had to be a member of the Sierra Club. And in order to um, gain membership, you had to be sponsored by an existing member. Um, that that existed until, like, the 1960s and, like, started at the founding. So that um, allowed them to screen out most applicants of color and also really anyone from outside of their bubble, whatever that was. Super gatekeepy. Right, yeah. And... um. Yeah, I wish like I I feel like I'm being really hard on the Sierra Club because obviously the the current day Sierra Club um, does yeah. a lot of fantastic work, has a lot of really great programs. That's why I'm on their newsletter and keep up with what they're doing. Like they do a lot of incredible work, um, but it's still like yeah, got it. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that they are talking about this and like putting this information out there because um, it's just super important. But yeah, he also, so he worked a lot in in California um, and specifically around like Yosemite and um, was very hostile towards California's Native Americans, um, a group he claimed had, quote, no place um, in the Sierra landscape. That's not a quote from him. It's a quote from the L.A. Times. But still, like very much that was kind of his his M.O. But um, he cared a lot about the land. So like that. Oh, sorry, I'm like, I feel like I'm not saying this correctly because that's most of what I got about him is like all of these aspects of his um, history. But yeah. what what I'm getting is like land and nature over people. Unless it's, yes. unless it's me and yes. my right to hang out for fun. Or the way that I like see. How I want it. See land. Yeah. Um. And then, so who is Gifford Pinchot, who, remember, is on the other side of this specific debate, um, who's kind of talking all about conservation. So he was also born into a wealthy family um, in Connecticut. He believed in the wise use of natural resources, um, so, like, falling right in line with the conservation movement. He was a close friend and the chief forester later for Theodore Roosevelt, which means he was in charge of the U.S. Forest Service. Um and so they both really worked in tandem. And actually, John Muir worked with um, Theodore Roosevelt kind of later on. Like a lot of um, a lot of the modern day ma- national parks and all of that stuff really came from all of them working together, even though they had a lot of differences. Um, Pinchot also drastically increased the amount of land that was managed by the government during that time. So like when you think about modern day national parks and conservation lands, a lot of that came from from this time. So kind of the the combination culmination of um, these two people was the Hetch Hetchy Valley, uh, which was a gorgeous area. It was often compared to Yosemite. Um, John Muir said it was, um, he said, no holier temple has ever been consecrated by the heart of man. So he loved this valley. He thought it was like truly like one of the most beautiful <laughs> things. And he wanted it to be preserved exactly in the way that it was. But it was also the perfect location to be a water source for San Francisco, um, which at the time was growing. And then, you know, now the population has grown exponentially over the last hundred years. Yeah. And they really needed a new water source. Um, So Muir and Pinchot 
kind of led the the fight over this for for decades where um you know they wanted to make the valley into a dam um which would mean no public access um it would mean you know completely changing the the landscape um but then also using those natural resources for people um which people who who needed that water so that was kind of the argument that went back and forth and then there was an earthquake in 1906 and after that there was really low water pressure that was blamed for a lot of super devastating fires that happened in San Francisco and destroyed a lot of the city. And so that was kind of the turning point that convinced, especially outsiders, you know, people on the East Coast, the president, um, that the city needed a better water system. And so ultimately in 1913 is when Congress approved the Hetch Hetchy project. Um, And it took a couple of decades, actually. But um, in 1934, it began delivering water to uh, San Francisco. And so the dam still exists. It, it's actually, I I think it's really beautiful in like a, in the sense that it doesn't look the same as it used to. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's the, the like lower floor of where the dam is, is now this, um, lake, or I think there used to be like forest. Um, and so there's limited public access to the valley and there's no public access to the reservoir for fear of contaminating the water, especially because it's not filtered. But since it's a dam, there's no pump. There's just gravity that does the work. And yeah, basically that's the story. Um, there's some people that advocate for the dam to be removed. Hmm. Um, because I guess there's like this been whole been this whole movement of removing dams in favor of reservoirs and making reservoirs that have reservoirs that have a higher storage capacity. Um, there's one called Don Pedro that's close to San Francisco that some people think um, could be used and then the dam could be destroyed and that area could be used as like public land again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reservoir, at least Don Pedro, is not owned by the government. So then in terms of politics, that gets a lot more complicated um, because it's not public land but yeah I just like that's one very small snippet of like an entire um movement but it's Mm -hmm. kind of like the start of what we see as like the environmental movement today Mm -hmm. yeah nice that's that awesome yeah lots of complicated things and I know obviously like bad within the good good I mean not really as far as I can see any good within the bad yeah it's like I (laughs) Um, I, I thought about just focusing on the dam and then I was like, there's so much else that's going on. And I, I mean, obviously glossed over a lot of things like, um, Theodore Roosevelt, first of all, is like a huge part of, of this movement. And then also Mm -hmm. has a lot of his own issues. Um, but it's so interesting that this, like, basically this group of, uh, rich white men framed like what we now see as. (laughs) Uh, how how we now like view the environment and I feel like even how we talk about it and how we talk about like conservation lands and pop culture is all influenced by like this this couple decades of whatever like yeah yeah policy I yeah I think it's so yeah so interesting and even just the idea of like man versus nature and man in nature and like the idea of it being separate but like enjoying nature and like finding like this like profound beauty in it I feel yeah. like that's so interesting. Like, just the way I grew up, like, 
learning how to perceive nature, I feel like is so rooted in that movement. Mm-hmm. And it's in, like it's interesting to break that down and like understand it and like maybe move past it a little bit um, yeah. now. So I yeah, I, I think it's it's so interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to know the history in order to like come out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, I'll have like, well, as always, we'll have all the links on our website. And like, I very much encourage you if you're interested in like a certain part of that movement or more about the dam or more about um, these different leaders and like what else was happening during that time. We'll have all that stuff online. Cool. Yeah. All right. So should I jump into the more current movement? Go for it. All right. So. Uh, this week I'm doing the Sunrise Movement, which I, I feel like I could talk about Sunrise Movement for a million years and talk about each individual person involved. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, it is so rooted in everyone's individual stories and identities. But I'm going <laughs> to mostly give an overview of the organization itself. Uh, and whatever, whatever happens, yeah. happens. Um, so, uh, my sources are a few, uh, Vox articles and interviews, The New Yorker, Politico, Forbes, Boston Magazine, and then the Sunrise Movement site itself. And then I also listened to the first episode of the Inherited podcast, which have you listened Mm. to any of that? Not yet, but I want to. Okay. So that's part, uh, of the Critical Frequency Network, which we we are big fans of. (laughs) Love it. Um, and that podcast is like, uh, by, for, and about the youth climate movement, which includes Sunrise, uh, and the producers and hosts Georgia Wright and Juliana Bradley are part of the movement as well. And the first episode is about Sunrise and the Green New Deal, um, which that kind of just like supplemented all of my other research and like got me in the mood, uh, to to delve into (laughs) it. Um, but definitely, like, if you want to hear more, like, uh, like snippets and, like, sound bites and stuff from the Sunrise Movement and things they've done, like, that is just a great, pretty, like, digestible episode to listen to. Uh, but anyway, uh, Sunrise really just captures the youth climate movement as a whole. And they rose to fame in 2018 when they had their notorious sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office where they had a um, kind of, like, celebrity cameo by AOC um, and she really encouraged them and that got them a lot of buzz but before we get there um, I think it's really important to uh, point out that the first sparks of the Sunrise Movement happened under the Obama administration Mm. Um, so a common theme among the founders is they were all really deeply troubled by the climate crisis for a long time like this just didn't happen when Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, you know, uh, Varshini Prakash being devastated by the effects of the tsunami in the Indian Ocean in 2004. Um, or, you know, like the current Sunrise political director, Evan Weber, he uh, drafted a version of the Green New Deal while he was a senior at Wesleyan in 2013 in response to Obama's climate action plan. So, like, the seeds kind of were all coming together for a while. Um, and they're and all it, super young, too, right? Yeah, I think I think the oldest person is, like, in the whole organization, like, formally speaking, is in their early 30s. 
Wow. But, you know, like most, I would say like probably the bulk people of people involved in the movement are like college age, early 20s. And then a lot of like leadership people, like the founders are kind of like mid 20s. So basically our age. Yeah. Um, But it's also good for remembering like, you know, it's not just the Trump era that this was happening. It's before that. But then also like if you think pre-Obama, most of those people were, I mean, we were like 13. Yeah. 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 So. So, yeah, it's it's cool. And just just the idea of like, I think a big part of Sunrise is the fact that like we need just like huge amounts of action right now Mm -hmm. and like that was not something that was happening under the Obama administration for many reasons but even just like proposed things were like not even nearly enough and so like I think you know obviously the you know climate that they were founded in um like it made a lot of sense but also like previously they were all inspired to take action Mm -hmm. um So in terms of organizing, Sunrise was born out of college divestment movements, uh, trying to get universities to divest assets and holdings from fossil fuel companies, which I think that's like such a cool way for young people to kind of come forward and have a really specific demand, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for change. And I mean, I know it kind of like clicked with me because obviously, our alma mater, uh, Belmont University, is having their own, or like the students are having their own uh, divestment movement mm-hmm. around uh, Core Civic and the prison industrial complex. So, which I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm honestly not sure. I've followed it pretty closely, and I'm sure you did too. Um, but I'm not sure how much coverage it got uh, nationally or anything. But like the yeah. demonstration that happened during the last presidential debate which took place at Belmont University I'm not sure how like how widespread it got a little bit of local press so um I feel like kind of one of the strongholds of like that movement has been Be Better Belmont which is um social media accounts yes um they've like organized a bunch of uh letters sending letters to the president of the university uh, Bobby Fisher what do we call him do we call him Robert or Bob Bob Fisher. I, I call him Bobby Fish I and like I don't know Bobby what else to Fisher. call him. But um Yeah. Yeah. So they uh I think really got organized in June. Um, but it's work that a lot of people have been doing for a long time before then. For me personally, that was the first time that I mm-hmm. ever heard about that or ever really thought about Belmont's yeah, board of directors. Um, yeah, just to be honest. Um but yeah, so they organized a demonstration for that third or I guess like the last presidential debate. Um, which happened in mid-October, and it got a little bit of local press. Um, I, I followed a couple of local national journalists who did, like, fairly deep dives into different aspects of Belmont's history. There's, like, a lot of really interesting ones. I think I mm-hmm. um, retweeted one on Twitter. I'll put in our show notes and stuff, but um, it definitely didn't get, like, the national coverage that I think could have been relevant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's also agree. like going back to Sunrise, like like you said, it was a very specific demand that's targeting a specific aspect of what Belmont mm-hmm. is doing and what they could change like right now. And so it's really smart to like focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. And like 
you are paying an institution like they should have an interest in in you and your desires and whatever so like I think that like if there are any young people listening to this and like you find out and you're in you know college if you find out some like your your university is doing something shadier is like you know profiting off of you know things that you don't believe in like I feel like that's a really good way to like yeah make your voice heard and organize around um just something that you're immediately affected by but anyway so so that is kind of how a lot of the co-founders of Sunrise started organizing in like Mm -hmm. organizing around climate uh and Sunrise itself was officially founded in April 2017 uh, with some grant seed money from Sierra Club oh. and 350.org. So it's cool to see, obviously, you just talked a ton about Sierra Club, but um, like it's kind of cool to see an older organization, uh, you know, that rallies around climate and the environment to then like help fund and start and kick off a more progressive like, you know, just like pass on yeah. that yeah. legacy, I guess. So I just thought that that's kind of fun. So like old yeah. movements giving birth to new movements and inspiring each other and learning from one another is really cool. Good work. Good work is being done. And like lots of good yes. things are coming out of the Sierra Club, including yes. the Sunrise Movement. So uh, one thing that to me sets Sunrise apart is their principles which I'm just going to go through because mm-hmm. I think they are all great. Um, but before they list these principle principles, their site says, these guidelines of our movement, which we are, which we all commit to upholding, uh, any action that does not embody these principles is not a sunrise action, which I think is like important for them to say because um, they're very like open to invitations like anyone can join anyone can take action on their own so I think it's kind of cool that they're like but these are the guidelines Mm -hmm. that we like to keep our actions inside um so the first is we are a movement to stop climate change and create millions of good paying jobs in the process so obviously they're all about making uh addressing climate change an urgent priority ending fossil fuel influence and electing leaders so that's their first pillar. Uh, their second is we grow our power through talking to our communities. So they're very community oriented. There's lots of like uh, sunrise houses with young people living together and like connecting with their communities. Um, so very community focused. Uh, three, we are from all paths of life. And they they say under that, uh, we are of many colors and creeds uh, from the plains, mountains, and coasts. So uh, it's very important to them that they have representation of all kinds from you know geographically from all over and then uh like they're very inviting and also they have opportunities uh for people of color Mm -hmm. to take leadership roles uh and they have like training and stuff which is really awesome uh the next one is we are nonviolent in word and deed which is pretty self-explanatory but i think you know they're very focused on being palatable to like like your general citizens and like not kind of like turning people off yeah violence and stuff 
Um, and, the, you know, winning the hearts of the public, like, they're very positive, joyful, um, like, serious when they need to be, obviously, but, like, they keep it nonviolent. Also, a lot of kids are getting involved, so I feel like kind of having a rule of, like, keeping mm. things safe for minors is, is, is good. The next is we tell our stories and we honor each other's stories, which I want to pause on this one because I feel like this one is, like, so, so important. Um, because I think it's what has changed so much of the conversation around mm-hmm. climate change. Um, so, like, in the climate conversation, g- generally, there's been a huge shift from talking about, you know, stuff like, you know, polar bears and ocean acidification and stuff like that. And the idea that we should preserve nature because mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do to specific stories and how people have been directly harmed by climate change and natural disasters so um like you'll hear stories of how kids were displaced by hurricane sandy or how their home is projected to be Mm -hmm. underwater in 100 years um like i know i personally had friends that were displaced by hurricane irene uh when i was in high school and my my hometown was like Mm -hmm. ravaged by hurricane sandy um yeah um so uh co-founder who I mentioned before, uh, Varshini Pakash, lives in East Boston. And uh, in a feature in Boston Magazine, she said, uh, here at home, our city was built on marshland. And if you look at flood zones over the next 100 years, most of greater Boston will be gone. The whole state is going to see really significant impacts. And that's why young people in Massachusetts are terrified and are looking to politicians to have the courage and conviction to do something about the crisis. So obviously, yeah, and you're from no less. I'm from a town called um, Marshfield. <laughs> so yes, um, it's very relevant. Um, yeah, and on the coast also. So yeah, um, anything that involves like coastal flooding also a big issue for us. Yeah, yeah. So like, and and Massachusetts all like every county went blue, right? Is that still? Oh yeah, a I was. Thing? <laughs> um, it is. It. I mean, <laughs> if you look at a map of the. United States in terms of like the strongest um democratic majorities specifically for voting for president um Massachusetts is like one of the strongest if not the strongest however um you know I was talking to my mom about this because I was looking at the results of the election in our hometown which we knew Biden was going to win there that was not really like a concern and obviously Mm -hmm. even if he didn't win our um our, our town he was going to win the state but 9,000 and some changed people voted for Biden and 7,000 voted for Trump. And that to me is just, especially, yeah, sorry, this is getting off a little bit, but like, no, it's good. I meant to have a like tangent here. So perfect. Yeah. I I don't know. It's like one of those things where when you're talking about organizing and especially you were talking about the demographics of people voting, all of that, making sure that people think that their vote counts and know that it does like, you're not going to focus your organizing efforts on upper middle class white people in Marshville, Massachusetts, where the vote is going to go to Biden no matter what. But it is important to talk to those yeah. people um, all the time, not just when elections are happening, um, because there's so much of what politics can do that can impact their lives, positively impact their lives or negatively impact their lives if like conservation isn't taken seriously yeah uh but yeah 
What about because your hometown is also on the coast in Connecticut? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's like on the shoreline. Uh, and and we are like in the Long Island Sound. So like, it's not necessarily like the ocean, but I mean, any hurricane that comes through, like both with Irene and Sandy, um, we lost power for a week. Like so many trees were down, people lost their homes um, with like flooding or like, you know, you know, everything was boarded up for a while. Like, yeah, it was rough. Um, I feel like maybe like like Massachusetts is like a little more like I feel like there's a lot of stuff coming out of there specifically uh climate but yeah I mean I think we can both like relate to that and just like growing up on the coast and just like how tangible it is that like a lot of that probably won't be there yeah that it's a hugely urgent problem it's getting worse it has gotten worse in our lifetimes flooding in my town has definitely gotten worse yeah um and then a lot of our town is also marshland so um that like yeah doesn't make flooding any better either uh but yeah. but yeah, and then also I just think sometimes people think if you like live in a you know blue democratic community that like things are gonna be great and like there's so much of like the democratic party that is just so broken that like that's not that's not the mm-hmm. case like there's still so much so many barriers but then also like a lot of people that are making really cool yeah progress on things yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, and it's it's interesting to be like plugged into those communities yeah. and just to see what's happening on the ground. But but yeah, I I think like obviously like we both have stories. Like we both have seen our town, like mm-hmm. our hometowns, be affected by hurricanes. You know, looking forward, they're probably going to be a lot more affected by hurricanes. Um, but yeah, that that pillar of like we tell our stories and we honor yeah. each other's stories, I think is so important. And like that is such an important part of like getting yeah. more conversation to happen around climate change and be like, no, 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 no. Like my town is right. flooding. Like we need help. Yeah. <laughs> like five years ago, not like, oh, like eventually yeah. we'll get around Or it's to like that. the whole point of this podcast um, was like stories make people interested <laughs> in things and like public interest. Yeah. Yes. As we've learned from all of this is, like, what hinges on, like, actual climate action happening. Yeah. Yeah. So we're telling stories. They're focused on stories. Like, stories are good. Um, But, yeah. So I just, like, really connected with that principle going on down their list. Um, Six is we ask for help and we give whatever we can. So, obviously, there's the asking for help and, you know, seeing what other people can do to make Mm -hmm. their mission happen. But also the idea of help however you can. So whether that's like committing one hour or 50 hours a week or donating money if you can't give time or providing space, just like using your skills and your abilities and whatever you have to, you know, whatever you have to give can help. Um, seven is we take initiative. Um, I, I love that they say uh, any group of three people can take action in the name of Sunrise. So kind of like you don't need to be in a big city or, you know, be super connected to a whole bunch of people that are part of the movement. You can, you know, get two of your friends together and, you know, anything that, you know, raises awareness or gets people closer to that goal, um, Mm -hmm. you know, counts, which I think is really cool. 
eight is we embrace experimentation and we learn together. Uh, so I think Sunrise is it is not afraid to make mistakes, but uh, is committed to learning from them, which is especially with everyone part of the organization being so young um, that, you know, I think that that's important to understand that like they will make mistakes and that's OK, but hopefully yeah. they'll learn from them um, as well as the idea that they will they, you know, strive to model our alternatives uh, to things that the movement doesn't like. So which I kind of like the idea of offering something up as an idea for anything like for mm -hmm. things that they criticize um nine is we take care of ourselves each other and our shared home which i love that they build self-care right into their principles uh which you know i especially with young people like taking all these like immense actions it's really mm -hmm. easy to get burned out so i think they're kind of setting themselves up for you know the long yeah haul. it's so important 10 is we unite with other movements for change, which I love. I feel like they're so um, inclusive in their own organization uh, and open to anyone who wants to join. Uh, yeah. Very different to what you're saying with like needing someone to vouch for you to join the club. You know, it's like if you want to be in, be in. If you have another group, like, cool, let's all work together. So I love that, like the flavor of like, this era's movement around the environment is like very inclusive and open and inviting. I love that it's like a balance too of um, you don't have to be an expert to join us, but we're going to consult with experts and people outside of our organization so that it's not just this like echo yes. chamber of nothing really happening. Yeah, like we're open to, yeah, we're open to other people's ideas and like say something, like we'll take it into account. Like, yeah, like consulting, uh, so, yeah, I think that that's really cool. Um, 11 is we fight for the liberation of all people. So this, again, kind of like you said, like honoring prior movements, uh, consulting people, uh, and then turning the tide of racism and racist institutions and unlearning oppressive attitudes and constantly yes. questioning the status quo. So always changing, always learning, maybe making mistakes, uh, obviously being super inclusive hopefully liberating everyone through the movement. And 12 uh, is We Shine Bright. So they're very, you know, focused on being positive and joyful. You know, they sing during protests. They're inclusive, very dream-oriented. So that is just their last, like, keeping it positive pillar. Um, and then one uh, other principle that isn't necessarily listed under this, like, 12, like, the mm -hmm. 12 commandments of Sunrise um, is the idea of no permanent friends, Ooh. no permanent enemies, which I absolutely love, um, which to elaborate, they, in their words, they say, our only permanent allegiance, allegiance is to protecting our communities, our shared home, and our future. We have to make it clear to politicians that our power and support are earned and not a given. Just because we have supported a candidate in the past doesn't mean that we will yes. continue to support them in the future. If there emerges or the movement puts forth a viable candidate that is better aligned with or more committed to our values and policy priorities, which just like everything about that is so good. I feel like it like that principle allows them to be super mm -hmm. political without like without being super political. Does that mean, I like without like 
playing the politics game that right. I wanted to play. Or, I mean, there's so many people that, like, start off. Well, that's, like, been the concern with Biden, actually, is that, like, he takes all of this um, mm-hmm. grassroots energy and organizing and all the stuff that's gotten him elected. And then the challenge over the next few months and then once his presidency starts, too, is, like... Um, is he going to continue to listen to those communities now that he's gotten what he wanted? Like, no, he has to continuously earn yeah. that yeah. privilege of their support. Yeah. Which is, I love. Yeah, no. And also no permanent enemies, too. Yeah, so, like, if someone, if if someone is, like, yeah, deemed an enemy, but then, like, okay, like, what, okay, you maybe you changed your mind and now you're doing something really good or okay like you gave this really cool policy idea like mm-hmm. we'll back you like you know so you know you can turn it around like um which i mean i think that with the biden climate policy uh like sunrise their comments on that um just from going from like not yeah they give them an to, like all right pretty acceptable yeah and then gave so many of their resources and people um to make him run and win on like some of the most progressive initiatives no the the most progressive initiatives ever yeah so like that is like a perfect example of that i think the yeah no permanent friends no permanent enemies is such a good attitude to be open-minded and to like while also holding everyone Mm -hmm. accountable in the moment and i think that can also be applied to our own beliefs and ideas and just like you know that was a stupid idea I'm going to relearn that um, and just like holding the space for forgiveness and growth um, while also being like really firm and like, no, yeah. we're not going to take any of your nonsense, um, which. OK, so I, when I heard when I was like reading through it and like thinking about that principle, I definitely thought of like the Emerson, the Emerson quote from um, self-reliance. That's like uh, the like a foolish uh a foolish consistency is the mm. hobgoblin of little minds, which I was like, oh, awesome. That's like part of that like early like nature mm-hmm. movement, which it's different. Like it was from like the 1830s, which yeah. I mashed in my mind together well, with the, the movement like naturalist and naturalist poetry movement. It, it like it it's even earlier. Yeah, it moved. Yeah, it's early. Yeah, like 1830, like between 1820s and 1840s was like the transcendentalist stuff, but. Uh, yeah, the precursor to what you talked about. Yeah. I was like, perfect, it all connects. <laughs> and it, like, kind of, but... Uh, but, yeah, I, I love that Emerson quote, too, which, whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, so now that uh, those were all kind of, like, the core principles of Sunrise, um, which that is kind of what they were founded on in 2017, which brings us around to their shining 2018 moment, uh, where they planned a sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office, mm-hmm. which I mentioned before. And they uh, sang together and handed in envelopes containing, you know, what they cared about saving through the mo- uh, through the movement. And many of them were arrested when they refused to leave. Uh, and AOC paid them a visit during their sit-in and encouraged them and, you know, said she was so proud of each and every one of them. And her presence there and her support got Sunrise so much media coverage and kind of really helped them get a super legitimate voice. And, you know, just wasn't that her like first day 
um, in office too, or one of the first days. I think so. Uh, probably, probably. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was right around that time. Um, I, I honestly didn't even think about that. But yeah, like, I mean, AOC had a lot of, like, attention on her. And then by, like, um, you know, giving a little nod to Sunrise, like, it just caused so much commotion. So, like, teamwork. Yeah. I, I love it. But, I mean, I think that's also, like, if anyone has, like, a position of power, like, you know, just giving someone a little bit of recognition can make so much of a difference. Uh, from there, uh, last September, so like in 2019, Sunrise organized uh, the global climate strike, which mobilized more than 3 million people in 150 countries to hit the streets and demand climate change action. And right now they have 6.5 million in funding from foundations and grassroots donations, 50 full-time staff and outputs outposts in more than 200 cities. So obviously from starting in 2017 to three years later, having 6.5 million in funding and just like so many people involved, just like they've grown so massively. Um, And I mean, they've been a big, part of you know why climate change is such a prominent topic now and in the presidential debates um which i think is awesome so uh now sunrise is entering phase five of their mobilization plan um and i personally can't wait for phase six and beyond um so just like phase one started in 2016 uh 2017 which was just launch the movement phase two in 2018 was make climate change matter in the midterm elections uh phase three in 2019 was make the entire country feel the urgency of the crisis Mm -hmm. which i think happened and then phase four in 2020 was win governing power by bringing it home through the 2020 general election which you know i feel like that we've got a pretty good victory there um and then phase five in 2021, which is a month and a half away, mm-hmm. which is very, very Time crazy. Time is not real. Um, is, <laughs> nope, uh, is engage in mass non-cooperation to interrupt business as usual and yes. win a Green New Deal. So, uh, yeah. So basically, if anyone wants to get involved in uh, phase five or phase six, which we don't even know what that is yet um they have lots of like training and orientation programs that you can sign up for on their website and they also have leadership programs for youth black leaders and everything is online right now uh so it's corona safe i know that like the idea of organizing and getting outside and like connecting directly with the community is super scary right now um but you know now's a good time to do a little training thing and yeah get moving and there's also I I follow them for a minute and like they yeah done a lot of incredible phone banking things they did this massive um postcard initiative for the get out the vote and then a lot of that like a lot of those efforts now are being focused on the Georgia runoff um and also mm-hmm. environmental voter has phone banking for that which is not the same thing but I think you know in terms of like phone banking and text banking and stuff like it's 
um, yeah. has a lot of the same principles. But you posted on, wait, where did you, I think on your, I don't know, social <laughs> media, on the cheap uh, old houses. Yeah. Uh, there's a house for like 90 grand. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, $99,000. It's this old, definitely mm-hmm. haunted hospital uh, that's in not great condition, but it, it has, I guess, between 11 and 13, like, <laughs> units in it. So I didn't realize it was I an mean, old hospital. I mean, if anyone wants... just a massive house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's an old hospital. So, like, they're probably ghosts, but, like, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to uh, flip the Senate and move to Georgia, if you can get your shit together in a month, because the uh, voter registration deadline is December 7th, uh... I highly encourage you. I have a to small idea for the house that has nothing to do with organizing. Um, yes. I worked on a movie last summer and we one of our locations, you know, our base camp for like all the trailers and everything um, was in like an old mental institutions like ground. So there's multiple buildings, but one that was massive that you drove by and coming mm-hmm. in. And someone who's my fucking hero put candles in all the windows that were solar powered. So during the day, they like take up, you know, all the energy. And then at night, there's all of these candles, like fake candles flickering in each window. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love it. That's that one's for free. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. But but yeah, I just imagine like it would be so cool if like, I don't know, like a group of like creatives and organizers just like bought a house together, fixed it up themselves, uh, and, like, did cool stuff. Uh, but that's probably not going to happen because, uh, whatever. But I just thought it'd be funny. Uh, so look on Cheap Old Houses because it's my favorite. And yeah. there are so many great old houses out there that I want to buy. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, overall, I feel like it's a really exciting time, especially mm-hmm. with Biden's win. Um, and it really just feels like a, a time to dream and think big uh, and think outside of what people say is politically or financially possible. Yes. So there, yeah. So there are a few podcasts that I would love to recommend because when Biden's win was announced, I was like working outside and I put these podcasts on. It was sunny and just like hearing all these dreams were it was so amazing, and I hope that mm-hmm. everyone else can do the same because it was just, like, such a vibe. Um, but the first is uh, the Inherited episode titled The Green New Dream, which features dreams out of, like, people sharing uh, their dreams from the youth climate movement, which was mm-hmm. just, like, really great to hear. And then the other one is the Mothers of Invention episode titled Brave Enough to Imagine. Ooh. So uh, I think that one came out like October 5th. So it's been around for a while, but uh, listening to it now, especially in light of this election, uh, and I think I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember exactly how many years it fast forward, forwarded, but it's like 15 or something like that. So it's just like, it's just very fun to listen to. And it's it, it's talking about things like they mm-hmm. are in 15 years and like thinking back to now, like, oh, it was so crazy that like, all this happened and now like this person that was part of this movement is now has like a huge leadership role and whatever so definitely listen to those two if you're looking for some positivity but yeah I don't know I just think it's a good time to dream and I hope that every like 
stupid Kofifi story is replaced with stories of like people organizing and you know highlighting marginalized voices mm-hmm. and we just we get I hope that we get so many good stories and good things yes. happening. We just years. have to don't have to listen to the <laughs> man. <laughs> yes. Yes. And like I, I hope that we can look back like at this moment in four years and just be like, boy, we did not know what was coming to us in 2020. But then like yeah. it turned it's like good stuff, you know? Like we didn't we couldn't even imagine that. And yeah. that's what I think. So I don't I don't know if you have any like dreams for the future uh i think but other than just being alone yeah having a green new deal and like continuing to dream bigger and bigger and then put those dreams into action which i feel like is the whole point of the sunrise movement and like the way that they have mobilized um obviously like you said they haven't done it alone but they've been a massive influence movement of like the the modern mm-hmm. environmental movement so like I yeah. just think it it's really amazing to hear because like it started out so small and so recently um so just to know like how much change yeah. can happen in a couple of years especially like a couple hellish years under the Trump administration um is mm-hmm. is like encouraging and so like if we can just continue yeah and like yeah. And like standard setting too, I feel like is is huge. Just being like, no, like this is what we want and this is what we need. And like how yeah. how is that gonna happen? Um is awesome. But yeah, I mean, there's so much to the sunrise movement and so much that's happened with them in the past three years. But that is that's kind of the overview of who they are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I have for you. I hope everyone and uh, listen to those podcasts and just like have a good time and dream and just like think about what's possible and just like depart yeah. from reality for like two seconds because yeah. sometimes that's good. Yeah, and hopefully we won't need quite as much escapism in the future because like, well, no. that's not even escapism. <laughs> it's just like, this is what's happening and it's actually good and exciting and like yeah. moving moving the ball forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, those, the, the specifically the, the Mothers of Invention episode is it's a little bit escapism, but it's also like, yeah. imagine if this were real. Like, this could be real. Let's <laughs> so, like, it. let's do it. Um, so, I think it's cool to like actually have a tangible vision sometimes, especially when things have been yeah so shitty. Also, <laughs> for the, for um, the last forever. P- plug our own episode. Like, we have a whole episode about the Green New Deal where we talk about the Sunrise Movement and their faces and all yes. of that, and how like the the mm-hmm. Green New Deal was meant to be this like. Um, symbol that that you could work towards and like creating it like making Mm -hmm. it tangible by creating it as like a promise to ourselves um which i just think is really cool and then it'll be nice um i think to listen back on that episode knowing that biden is going to be the president and that this is like has a lot much higher chance of happening yes yeah and yeah and like because like yeah we outlined biden's plan too or like talk about the things that are you know similar to the green new deal that are in the biden plan uh and hopefully if he can make those things start happening like that would be very good to see and also holding him accountable to all the things that he said so yeah i don't get that high-speed rail system yeah (laughs) you know 
I don't know. Uh, it's fine. No, it's not fine, Elise. <laughs> one can figure it out. No, it's not. It's it's not <laughs> fine if we don't get the train. We're getting it. We'll We're getting just work it. on manifestation. Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, is it yes. time for the dump? It is. We need a song for the dump. <laughs> and it'll just be one of us being <laughs> like, like a sound it's effect. Time for the dump? Yes. <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs> yeah. I, well, I have one. The... The Queen's Gambit. <gasps> that was yeah. gonna be one of mine. So good. So, so good. good. I am obsessed. On Netflix. Like watching that, I was like, should I like as a bit never watch a movie or TV show with like a sit his protagonist yeah. man protagonist ever again? Mm-hmm. Like just as a bit. Hell like, yeah. It starts now. <laughs> uh because it, it was just so good. And I love how she was written. Yeah, I remember. Um, I started watching it last. It was only freaking like week and a half ago. It feels like eons. Yeah, but I, I was like, yes. really just super run down, and I think everyone's like had this just emotional exhaustion and like defense mode on for so long, and I just like needed something mm-hmm. that wasn't that was like serious but still like escapist. And so that I literally watched yeah. the preview and I was like, she's really into chess. Hell yeah. And then like watched the entire thing. <laughs> and I don't even play chess. I don't know yeah. how. Yeah. Um, no. It's so good. They did such a good job of like, and I listened to a thing where there was like a girl who like is really into chess and was like, no, they yeah. play right. Like it's all legit. But like they also do a really good job of you being like, like, I feel like it was how a little bit how, like, I, I would watch curling, where I'm, like, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm yeah. so into it. Uh, but they do a really good job of, like, getting you into it and, like, making you not feel stupid. And, yeah, it's just And so you fun. learn along with her, too. I mean, not like I could play chess now, yeah. but you, like, you see her, this, you know, orphan who, like, starts playing, you know, in the basement of the school that she goes to, and then, like, goes all the way up to the top and like ah it's just so cool and all the outfits all the hotel rooms more yeah. importantly everything oh um, I yeah the design and she also oh my god she at one point redoes her house and that's so fun yeah. to watch like there's literally something for everyone like if you love interiors if you love fashion if you love chess if you don't romance. love chess if you romance uh there's a little bit of everything and it's so yeah good. definitely recommend um yeah what else what else have you been watching my uh that's honestly it in terms of things I've been watching um because I watched that and then was like I just want to watch that again yeah like I want to what what is the same I want to watch more of that so I've I've been looking for more shows um I don't know if you have any recommendations well, I was uh, trying to think as we were talking, I feel like there are a lot of shows about like someone with a special interest and that's for some reason really comforting right now to just focus on one thing. Maybe it's because there's so many yes. things that are going on. It's nice to just be like, I'm really into chess and yeah. like, um, yeah. fixating on the only thing. show I can think of is the good doctor, which I haven't watched in quite a while, but I was thinking okay, about getting back into it because it. it's with Freddie Highmore and he plays this, um, yeah. autistic doctor and you know, obviously he's an expert in his field, but then on mm-hmm. top of that, he's autistic. And so he like has this hyper um, like sensitivity and stuff. And some of the ways that, that show is written is like not the best. There's like one point where 
an actor plays his younger brother in like a fantasy and then becomes a patient later on in a different episode. And I just remember watching it mm. with my old roommate, Emily, and we were like, what just happened? Like, is that that's definitely not supposed to be the same kid and then they're not supposed to be connected. But um, yeah, <laughs> maybe we just misunderstood. But it is a good show for like special yeah. interest. That's like, didn't didn't uh, Justin Theroux play two separate, completely unrelated characters in Sex and the City? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would believe it. And they just like, I'm pretty sure that's a thing. I haven't watched that whole thing. Like, I've watched like three seasons of it, but I'm pretty sure he plays one character and then they just bring him back as a completely different character. I love character. that. So sometimes it happens. But at least in that case, it's like Justin Theroux. You know what I mean? You're like, I get it. We like, we... The first you time was him away on like a again. one drink date or something, and you want to bring him back. That's fine, but like a random actor, yeah, was like what? kid, yeah, um, yeah. But but yeah, as far as like fixating on one thing, the past. So like, I feel like with skincare stuff, like I and makeup and things like that, like so often I I'm running out of everything at the mm. same time which has been happening to me. Like either either I ran out of it or like uh, I'm getting to the tail end. So I have to think about like my next mm-hmm. buy. And the past like week and a half, two weeks, I've been like fixating on finding like clean um, products, especially makeup. Because I feel like maybe skincare is a little bit easier, but like specifically makeup that that's like super simple ingredients mm-hmm. um, and has like, like recyclable packaging, like no plastic. Um, and just like I added a third thing of like I want it to just feel like a super, super small, like packed to the kitchen, like pe- like I I made this in my kitchen mm. kind of vibe. Um, and like I've just been like delving into this so much in the past week and a half where I'm like, this is about something yeah. else, which it was. Like, but I am uh coping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is like I'm like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> really freaking out about this because there are other things that are crazier but um I ordered a couple things that I'm I there's this like mascara that came in like a metal box I was gonna that, ask like, you has, like, a yeah spoolie. I've never tried it before yeah, but I'm so very intrigued it's uh I think it's surprisingly good uh I've only used it a couple times but uh the brand is like nudie hmm. goods uh and it's like the raven plastic free mascara and I feel I'm wearing it right now, which you probably can't see my my eyeliner. I can see your eyeliner. <laughs> Looks good. And I'm wearing really yeah. thick eyeliner, so it's hard to see. But uh, like it kind of is like works surprisingly well. Like it's not your crazy lash extending mascara that you you might find elsewhere. But like for it coming in a little tin and just like having a handful ingredient of ingredients that are like activated charcoal and like yeah. wax and a couple other things. It's pretty. It doesn't smudge or anything. Uh, I haven't really like. It definitely will smudge a little bit. Like if you rub your eye or you get sweaty, like it probably. Yeah, that's normal. But, I mean, whatever. It's fine. Um, but I am. It hasn't come in the mail yet, so I can't give like an official review. But I am very, very excited for this green, vegan eyeshadow (laughs) that I ordered. That's made from literally just like. Uh, Benonite clay and matcha. So I'm so excited for that. Um, And I can I can hopefully give. I think it's supposed to come by next week, so maybe I'll be able to give some opinions. But yeah, I'm really excited. If you have any 
skincare brands, like makeup or otherwise, that you can recommend? There's this mascara brand that I really like called Alia. I don't know how to pronounce it. I-L-I-A. Okay. Yeah, I get a lot of targeted ads for them on YouTube now just beside the point but um I bought their mascara at Credo which is like a clean beauty it's kind of like the clean beauty version of Sephora and they also have there's a lot of them you know major cities and throughout the country um they also are really good about having like TerraCycle boxes so you can bring back your stuff and you can get points Mm -hmm. um which I I think is a great system like obviously I think it's even better if you can have it in a a metal tin and like have it even more sustainable packaging Mm -hmm. but in the meantime, I think it's a great solution. Um, I bought that yeah. mascara like a year and a half ago, which I know is like asking for conjunctivitis. But since we're in the mm-hmm. pandemic, fuck it. I've been using it the whole time and mm-hmm. I'm not wearing it right now. But um, mm-hmm. I wore it the other day and my roommate asked me, she's like, are you wearing fake eyelashes? And I was like, no, but thank you. Like, because um, it has, yeah. it's like a du- two sides and you know, like a lot of mascara yeah. wands, it's like my favorite one that I've ever used because it makes them really long, but not like in a creepy spidery way. Um, and then once yeah. I do decide that I should buy it again, I can go back and like um, TerraCycle the the old bottle. Yeah, well, that's yeah. so awesome. But, but yeah, I uh, I've, I'm also looking for like a more natural like SPF because I was looking on Sephora because I have a sale that ends today. Um, which I reordered one thing, but like there's this one sunscreen that had like the clean Sephora like stamp of approval mm-hmm. or whatever. And then I was reading through the ingredients and it had like polyester eight as an ingredient, hmm. which I was reading because I was like, wait, po- polyester in in a like, <laughs> yeah, um, in an SPF and in an SPF. Yeah, because I think it's like a barrier. Well, I, I know that. A lot of SPFs aren't ocean safe and can be problematic, but I I don't know yeah. why why that's worth exploring at some point. But yeah, 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 do an SPF. Um, yeah, which like some are like that's definitely something that's good to look into. But yeah, I was just like polyester is in this sunscreen mm-hmm. that's like which I guess like in that form like I didn't do a ton of research into it, but like a couple things said that it was like a microplastic. That's, like, obviously smaller than microbeads, but, like, the fact that that was in something that was, like, clean and everything's so confusing and, like, you think something's one way, but then you, like, look a little bit into it and it's... Right. So that was my deep dive to distract myself and make myself crazy. (laughs) The news. So, yeah, that's my my, uh, obsession right now is finding new brands and cool small businesses to support in the pandemic. Yeah. I've seen on... um... I, yeah, also props to, like, finding small businesses that are doing what you're interested in because, like, then you're mm-hmm. supporting small business. That's great. Yeah. And then also, like, making it hopefully more popular. Um, one yeah. that I don't know what the brand is, but I know they're, like, um, these, like, chunky vegan lip-like things. They're, like, lip, cheek, um, eye okay. multi-sticks. Um, you can buy those on Package Free Shop now. Um so I know that okay. those have been, like, popular for quite a while, and, like, Glossier has those and stuff, mm-hmm. but um, if you want to support, like, a, a business that's doing package-free things, then you can buy from them, or you can go on their website and see. Yeah. Um, I forget what the brand is called, but, yeah, it's cool to see more options. Yeah, I may look look on – I haven't looked on what they have 
uh, but that's also just like I feel like places like Package Free are a good place to like explore and like expand like like almost like use it as like a database yeah. to like learn about other things and like get into stuff so I definitely need to look at what they have but yeah it's exciting and fun and so many people are doing cool things and also like some of it is expensive but also a lot of the makeup stuff is like kind of drugstore really pricing. like so not even like low-end yeah. Sephora but like drugstore that's for dope yeah yeah at least what I saw like and some of it is or if you pair like a couple eyeshadows together but like it's stuff that's like ten, fifteen dollars. Affordable, yeah. Um, because I feel like dr- you think stuff is gonna be really cheap at the drugstore, drug and then it ends up being way more expensive mm-hmm. than you think. So, like, yeah, I feel like it's there are some cool, affordable options that are sustainable, which is really I love cool. it. So, that's about all I have <laughs> for the dump. <laughs> Should I plug our socials? Yeah. Well, we're back in the routine. I feel like. Well, I didn't miss this. I'm glad that we didn't do last week because yeah. it's just insane. Same. But um, mm-hmm. I'm glad to be get back in it. So now every week um, we post our extended show notes with everything on our website, worldisburning.com. Um, and then we're on Instagram and Twitter at worldsburning with no G. Yeah, we post a bunch of extra stuff on there. Elise posted the letters from... <laughs> um, from last week's episode about the petrified yeah. forest. Those are really cool. Because, like, you read, um, at least some of them you read on the episode. But it's, like, a new level to yeah. see the handwriting and, like. Yeah. It, yeah. It's different when you see it. Yeah. Out. So that's cool. That's um, where you can find that. And then you can also subscribe to us and follow on wherever you're listening. Um, yeah, we love that. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts help other people find us and also you don't even have to write like a review you can just give us five stars and we'll love you just the same well no um and then yeah dm us or email us worldsburningpod at gmail.com which is on our website also we're very accessible Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep um and yeah we want to hear from you so that's it perfect we'll uh see you next week see you next wednesday